Welcome to World Footprints Radio, the show where we celebrate responsible travel, culture, and heritage. Featuring your hosts, Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick. Now, World Footprints Radio. Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to World Footprints, the leading voice in socially responsible travel and lifestyle. Today, we'll open up our new Travelers University to share some important things that you should know about the cruise industry and travel insurance. I'm Tanya Fitzpatrick, and along with my husband, Ian, we're presenting Travelers University 101. Thanks, dear. Whether you're a first-time cruiser or have sailed the seven seas for years, there are things about the cruise industry that you probably don't know. For as much enjoyment as a cruise provides, there's a dark side to cruising that generally goes unreported. Author and Saturday Evening Post contributor Elizabeth Becker joins us to reveal the dangers that passengers often face upon boarding. Their ships are flagged and registered in countries with very little regulations, and that affects the safety of the trip and the passengers. It affects the environment because they are not regulated for cleanliness, and it also affects the amount of taxes those corporations pay. They essentially get out of an awful lot of corporate taxes. There are many questions surrounding the decision to purchase travel insurance. If you've ever questioned the necessity of travel insurance or medical evacuation plan, many of your questions will be answered today as World Footprints presents a travel insurance panel of experts to answer many frequently asked questions. You'll hear from a traveler who suffered severe injuries in Africa and how he was cared for. My arms just hung literally off my body. They were completely useless. Went to the hospital. They did x-rays, and the doctor suggested uh, an operation on the spot. Uh, Needless to say, um, I was not interested. I'm Tanya Fitzpatrick. And I'm Ian Fitzpatrick, and this is World Footprints. Visit and connect with us at worldfootprints.com. Over the years, the cruise ship industry has been in the news for any number of disasters, from missing passengers to most recently the Costa Concordia disaster. Despite the negative press, however, the cruise industry continues to flourish, generating $40 billion in revenue annually in the U.S. alone. But there's a darker side to this industry that goes beyond the occasional media coverage. In the latest issue of the Saturday Evening Post, Award-winning author and former New York Times contributor Elizabeth Becker reveals the dangers and factors that are lesser known. You will find more about the cruise ship industry in her book, Overbooked, The Exploding Business of Travel and Tourism. Elizabeth, welcome. I'm very happy to be here. There's a lot of pageantry that passengers see when they step on board a cruise ship, but behind the scenes, there appears to be Uh, cutting of corners and other things that the passengers not aware of that are bearing on their overall safety. Can you speak to this? The cruise industry is an anomaly, so to speak, in the tourism industry because it is not attached to any country. So that even though it's headquartered in the United States, and if you've been to Miami, you know that is the capital of cruise ships. That's where Carnival has its headquarters and where uh, Royal Caribbean does. However, they are not officially there. Their ships are flagged and registered in countries with very little regulations, and that affects the safety of the trip and the passengers. It affects the environment because they are not regulated for cleanliness, and it 
also affects the amount of taxes those corporations pay. They essentially get out of an awful lot of corporate taxes. So it has a huge bearing. You are when you're walking on a cruise ship, you are walking into you know essentially unregulated waters. Elizabeth, this is certainly a multi-layered issue, and the Saturday Evening Post thought enough about this uh, specific issue to take the uh, chapter that you dedicated to the cruise ship industry in your new book, Overbooked, The Exploding Business of Travel and Tourism. How did the dark side of the cruise industry, which you talk about in your book, get on your radar? I was the international economics correspondent at the New York Times, and I couldn't help but notice in the last decade the explosion of travel and tourism. It was huge, and it was the result directly of all kinds of changes in the global economy under the rubric of globalization. And then once you look at travel and tourism, the first thing you notice is cruise ships. They are um, making money hand over fist. They are an easy way to travel. And I wanted to figure out how they were making so much money and why they were so popular. Mm-hmm. Let, let's talk a little bit about something that has been in the news um, recently, particularly in Alaska um, most recently, and, and, and I think Hawaii, the environmental impact. Um, that issue... You know, with relation to cruise ship, um, in particular with waste discharge, is not subject to federal regulations. You know, regarding their their disposal systems, et cetera. What is happening here, and what do you see some of the changing legislation uh, affecting, if at all? Alaska has been the sort of the front line of this for um, a long time. Alaska, because of the Inside Passage, mm-hmm. that area is covered by American rules. Alaskan citizen group noticed the the problems there early on, and uh, Royal Caribbean was successfully sued because of the amount of garbage, the actual human waste they were disposing. So that, they won the, that suit, and subsequently there have been citizen referendums to have uh, someone on board to make sure they follow those those rules, so on and so forth. So that's that's been within within the federal inside passage laws, the state laws do work. It's once you get beyond the coastline that it's a Mm free-for-all. Now, um, the big change last year um, was putting into effect the Clean Air Act, which uh, requires these ships to use cleaner uh, fuel. That's the other thing. The air pollution is stunning. I mentioned that, um, for instance, in order to to be able to go to Vancouver during the Winter Olympics, cruise ships couldn't just idle at the dock, which they do almost everywhere around the world. They had to turn off their engines and plug into an electric source because those ships, even the smaller ones, produce the equivalent of 10,000 cars CO2 per day when they're idling on the, um, on, on the docks. Mm. And you know we were there in Vancouver during the 2010 Olympics, and I know that they the the ships were actually docked well outside of um, the 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 downtown area, the normal port, right. uh, and, and possibly for that the same reason. Right. Um, and well, if I I mentioned, and if you don't mind me reading it, um, the. Environmental Protection Agency figured out that in the course of one day, the average cruise ship produces 21,000 gallons of human sewage, one ton of solid waste garbage, 170,000 gallons of wastewater from shower sinks and laundry, 6,400 gallons of oily bilge water, 
and, of course, 8,500 plastic bottles. And once you're outside, um, you know, national coastlines, there's no, there's no international navy, no international anything to make sure that they are disposing of this correctly, and they have been caught disposing mm-hmm. it, in, you know, incorrectly, and it, it just, it's um, a hazard to the ocean. Unbelievable. Elizabeth, you touched earlier at the outset on the foreign registries of mm-hmm. many of these ships. Uh, right. What kind of dealings are taking place, particularly with respect to these foreign registries that impact the cruise line's financial situation? Well, because because these ships are registered and flagged overseas, they do not have to follow American regulations. Now, if you don't follow American regulations, you don't have to pay minimum wage. And that's one of the reasons you have so many problems on ships. Uh, the, the wages for the average waiter is $50 a month. Mm. $50 a month. And I had this confirmed by the CEO of Royal Caribbean. Uh, I interviewed the waiters, and then I did a, a, in, a person-to-person interview with the CEO of Royal Caribbean, and he said yes, and he said that um, they survive on tips, essentially. Now, they have to pay their own way to the ship and their own way back home, and they have several months off with no vacation pay. So this, you can imagine, one, that's a high turnover rate, and two, these people are not going to be at the best level of skills or performance when they're treated that way. So that's, that's one of the problems you have throughout the ship, that the people who are in charge of taking care of you aren't being taken care of by the company. So that, that's labor laws. Then, um, and I didn't meet a single American working on those ships. Mm-hmm. And you, you rarely will find, whereas if it's a ship flagged in the United States, for instance, Lindbad, I took a Lindbad cruise that I wrote about in my book, completely different, very safe, very well done. And then, that's one of the reasons you've had safety uh, investigations by the American Congress. When he was still Senator John Kerry, our current Secretary of State, he got through Congress legislation to make those ships safer because so many of the constituents in Massachusetts had complained about health problems and security problems, including rape. So that's those are issues that are beyond, largely beyond the um, the uh, the reach of the law, the American law. And then finally, when you go on these cruises, the price looks unbelievably inexpensive. You know, $500, $800 for a four or five day cruise, mm. all the food, blah, blah, blah. Once you get on, you, it's amazing how much you are charged for. And secondly, if you buy, for instance, a piece of art in their art auctions or diamonds in their diamond shop, you go home and you find a fake or not what you thought it was, you cannot sue that company because they say that they're in international law and they don't. you can't sue them because they're in international law. Now, that's starting to change. The art auction house itself has been successfully sued. Okay. But th- th- there's an accordion of different kinds of issues that come from the fact that this is not American-flagged and American-regulated mm. or any country because the countries where they flagged them are countries like Liberia, Panama, the Bahamas, that do not in any way demand or enforce um, regulations. And of course, they never are there. Well, you know, that, that raises a question, I think, about some of the health issues um, that have plagued 
the larger cruise ships in in particular, you know, the, the sanitary conditions are questionable mm-hmm. um, when these cruise lines are not uh, paying, much less, you know, training um, their staff about just basic health um, protocol, like washing your hands after you go to the, the, the loo or, you know, things of that sort. I mean, I think that um, that explains uh, some of these uh, viruses that have been hitting the the larger cruise ships, and I'm I'm just curious too with regards to the the low pay. Have not any international human rights organizations um, come forward to uh, to to lobby for better pay and treatment of these crews uh, of the uh, cruise ship crews? Well, the maritime unions have worked very hard, and. Um, the, the, a lot of these, a lot of the workers will just jump ship, and that's when the maritime union try to help them. Uh, but there, as I said, there's no jurisdiction. So, for instance, in the American Congress again, uh, in the 90s, that long ago, when when it, the cruise ships really started taking off, in the 90s, several members of Congress really did try to to enforce something and um, to try to get some jurisdiction and try to enforce some labor laws, because this does come under labor law, um, the cruise ships, because of their political power, they pay a lot in campaign money, um, mm-hmm. they, uh, they manage to get around it. And even when the, 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 the wreck, the Costa wreck of the Carnival uh, ship just uh, two years ago, Congress did um, a, a committee held a hearing, and nothing came of it. They said, this is an accident. The members of Congress said, this is an accident. We still have full confidence in these cruise lines, and that was it. So there's, there's an incredible amount of political muscle in Congress. You're referring to the Costa Concordia mm-hmm. accident? Yeah, there was a, there was a hearing in, in Congress. Uh, but I, I thought the captain actually was charged in yeah, Italy. Yeah, that's in Italy. Yeah. But these are American companies. Uh-huh. Boy. So an America, a, a committee in Congress held a hearing to see, because this is Carnival. This is a Carnival company. It's under the car, Carnival umbrella. And they said, no, 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 this was an accident. So there, certainly there have been lawsuits all over the place. But did Congress think that there was any reason to revisit the, the loopholes that these companies, uh, cruise companies, operate under? And they said no. And those loopholes are guaranteed by Congress. Now, Elizabeth, given the, the lack of jurisdiction American authorities have over these uh, cruise companies and the fact that there are all of these issues and it doesn't seem as if Washington really can make a difference. What do you think it's going to take in order to bring about uh, change in the industry? Where's the pressure going to have to come from? Well, it's like any, uh, this, as long as these companies can be headquartered in the United States, use American port and take advantage of everything that the entire American infrastructure and still not be under American jurisdiction, there's nothing to do. It would have to be something that comes from Congress. I don't see any other way around it unless, you know, consumer groups alone can't can't cut it, and I don't see how you can get jurisdiction from in terms of unions or anything. Um, as I said, Senator Kerry was able to get a few things changed like um, uh, that sound sort of cosmetic but are important, like make sure the railing is a little higher, make sure that um, there are people so people can see who wants to knock on their doors. But for instance, not long ago, a little child drowned in a swimming pool on one of the cruise lines because mm-hmm. they don't have lifeguards. There's no one telling them that they even have to have lifeguards. Mm-hmm. So that's that's it. And then it's the crew 
cruise itself, and that's why it's in, um, the chapter is entitled Destination Nowhere, you're on the sea, and your stop, your port calls are extremely short. They're a few hours, and you get off the ship. Usually there's an armada of other cruise ships there at the same time. You flood a port. You see a couple of sightseeing things, and then you're back on the ship. So it's gotten to be what experts call drive-by tourism, where what used to be the wonderful cruise ships where you had a lovely leisurely time at sea and then you had a nice leisurely couple of days at a port that's gone it's very quick very tightly packed and um and that's another reason you're going to see more problems because they tried to shove so much in to these larger and larger ships with more and more passengers if if you've been on the ship it feels like you're on a floating skyscraper given all of these issues that you've raised uh, what can you suggest to cruisers uh, who are looking to uh sign up for a a trip with uh, one of these cruise ship companies, what should they look for in terms of uh, making a more conscientious choice? Well, first, um, look at the look at the the ship line carefully. Uh, look at the schedule, and if you want to be on a ship that is a floating, I mean, a lot of people enjoy this. So I'm not saying that some people do want the convenience of this, but just first of all, know what you're doing, read up a little bit, and then um, see what the safety records are. There's a lot on the internet. Um, uh, I strongly recommend um, ships that are responsibly flagged and uh, registered, but that's not so easy to find out. Um, and I would just stay away from the super large ones. You're not going, it's going to be more expensive, but in the long run, it's, it's much better value. And it's better to take one expensive, really good cruise where you see what you see the world that you want to see and you come back healthy than four or five of the other cruises where it's, as I said, drive-by tourism. If you'd like more information about Elizabeth's exposés into the cruise industry, you can follow her at elizabethbecker.com. Elizabeth Becker, the author of Overbook, The Exploding Business of Travel and Tourism. You can catch her chapter on the cruise ship industry in the latest issue of the Saturday Evening Post. Elizabeth, we thank you so much for being with us on World Footprints Radio. Thank you for having me. After the break, we'll answer your questions about travel insurance and medical evacuation plans with our panel of experts. We feel that our our members shouldn't travel uh, without travel insurance. We feel that certainly all travel insurance uh, policyholders should have a, a, a medical air transport membership program. Next, as World Footprints continues. Hey, this is Amy. I'm from Manitoba. Woo, Manitoba. I love listening to World Footprints Radio. Rocks my socks. In Italy, police smash an international human trafficking ring. Officials in India announce over a thousand human traffickers arrested this year. And authorities in Peru charge a man and his wife with trafficking babies to Europeans through the Internet. Human traffickers are active all over the world. But by joining forces, we can stop these criminals. Support the United Nations Global Initiative to Fight Human Trafficking, ungift.org. Hi, I'm Callie Schultz from the great city of New Orleans, and you're listening to World Footprints Radio. We can't wait to see you in New Orleans very soon. You're listening to World Footprints Radio, awarded as the best travel audio podcast by the North American Travel Journalists Association. Here's Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick. Welcome back to World Footprints. I'm Ian Fitzpatrick. Travel is exciting and rewarding, but it can also be expensive when the unexpected occurs far from home, such as sickness or injury, travel delay, baggage loss, or worse. 
Medical costs are increasing dramatically worldwide, and travel suppliers are making cancellation policies more restrictive. With the reality of global terrorism, increased travel industry bankruptcies, global economic instability, and other unpredictable events, travel insurance is seen as a means to help minimize financial risk associated with travel. And for many travelers, the unpredictability of life causes many to seek ways to minimize the unique financial risk associated with travel. But understanding the maze of policy or membership language can be daunting, and some think it is an unnecessary expense. So today, World Footprints has organized a panel of experts to address the issue. Joining us today is Steve Dacios, president of TripInsuranceStore.com. John Goebbels, Vice President and Chief Operating Officer of MedJet Assist, a Global Air Medical Transport Membership Program, and Traveler John Palumbo joins us on the phone from Morocco. Gentlemen, welcome. John Palumbo, I'd like to start with you. You're a frequent traveler, and you regularly purchase travel insurance. This time last year, you had an incident in Northern Africa where your travel insurance policy was actually used. Tell us what happened. I was traveling in Marrakesh, Morocco, when um, I went to hail a cab, and in doing so, someone uh, got around me in some way and was able to snatch my cell phone and passport. And instinctively, and again I say instinctively because everyone has asked me why did I run after someone in the open market, but uh, I ran after him. And in chasing the pickpocket, uh, I tripped in the streets of the uh, open marketplace and simultaneously a perfect storm. I hit a curb and I shattered both shoulders simultaneously. And, of course, I was laying there in the streets. Um, I couldn't get up, couldn't do anything, really. I, I had thought my arms were just numbed for a few minutes. You know how they feel when they go to sleep. But... Um, Within a couple of minutes, actually, the people there in the marketplace had chased down the thief and brought him and threw him down next to me and recovered my phone and passport. To me, that's probably the most miraculous part of the whole story. But the mm. fact that they recovered my phone immediately, uh, they took me to the police station. You know, we did a report as my arms just hung literally off my body. They were completely useless. Went to the hospital. They did x-rays, and the doctor suggested uh, an operation on the spot. Uh, needless to say, um, I was not interested, and I immediately picked up the, the phone, you know, had somebody dial the number for me, and I called my insurance carrier and told them I had been in an accident and needed to activate my tra travel medical. They talked to the doctors for probably 45 minutes to an hour on the telephone getting specifics, understanding what's happened, and then back on the phone with me and said, we'll make arrangements to get you out of the country. And with that, they sent a skilled nurse down. Um, I think he came from Amsterdam down to pick me up. Uh, obviously, I had, you know, had to carry my bags. Literally, my arms are hanging, so I had to be fed. I had to be bathed. I had to be shaved. Um, and he got me back through Europe and then from there into the States through customs and immigrations and literally to the door of the hospital where I had to start the process all over again back in the States where I eventually had surgery, had to have shoulder replacements uh, with titanium and, uh, you know, stay in the hospital and a skilled nursing facility for the next few months. So there's my story in a nutshell. Mm. Now, Mr. Palumbo, I'm curious. Uh, you were evacuated, but would your policy have covered treatment in Africa? 
It's my understanding it would have covered the treatment here in Africa uh, because, uh, you know, I had certain expenses that would have been covered out of the country had I had to pay them. I did have to have a CAT scan done to my head, and I did have some medical treatment done at the hospital. The x-rays, uh, some, I, they gave me some shots of, of some sorts. Uh, it wasn't much, but uh, those were, of course, taken care of. And uh, the ambulance. I don't know mm-hmm. about anything else because I, I did not choose to let them go any further with me. In fact, I wouldn't even stay in the hospital another day. They wanted me to, to check into the hospital, and I just refused. I was afraid they would find a reason to maybe keep me. Um, you know, or I would get in a situation where I couldn't be moved or traveled any longer, and I, my goal was to activate the insurance, which I had been using for the past few years. I buy an annual policy. You need to understand that. So it wasn't just a single pay policy. It was an annualized policy. And so I had never had to call on it or activate it over the past several years, and now I needed to. And I mean, I wanted to get home. I think the, the the prime word for me was warranty work. I wanted to go back to doctors I knew could take care of me in the future if I had problems. And obviously it was a major problem having to have soldier surgery and, and have them replaced with titanium. And then, sure. You know, I wouldn't have wanted to sit in Africa for a few months during that process. I just wouldn't have wanted to have that happen. John Global, MoJet Assist is a global air medical transport membership program. You're not a travel insurance uh, company, but your product complements travel insurance uh, policies. How would MedJet Assist would uh, how would it have worked in John Palumbo's uh, situation? What does it cover, and how does it work specifically? Sure, and, and that's a great question. You're exactly correct. I mean, certainly as MedJet being a, uh, an air medical transport membership program, we really consider ourselves and, and both synergistically with travel insurance. You know, we feel that our, our members shouldn't travel uh, without travel insurance. We feel that all, certainly all travel insurance uh, policyholders should have a, a, a medical air transport membership program like uh, MedJet Assist. And, and that's a great story, John. I'm glad everything worked out well for you from that standpoint. And from MedJet, I mean, as long as you are traveling more than 150 miles away from home and find yourself either ill or injured, much like John was with, with two broken shoulders, we kind of do the same things, and, and that's obviously making sure uh, we get a good medical report from the member, speak with the physicians that's currently taking care of him, and then at that point, we go ahead and let the uh, let the member decide where they want to come back to in their home country. So, not sure where you know John was living at that time, but if he wanted to go to a specialist center somewhere for orthopedics or back to his home hospital, um, once they would accept him there, then we would do everything to arrange for that medical transfer uh, directly from the uh, the location where John was there uh, back to his home hospital of choice. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I think that's exactly what mine would have, what he just explained is exactly what mine offered. So it sounds like they're, they're similar uh, coverages. Uh, they, you know, they gave me those options and uh, so... And I, and I think John Palumbo, you're uh, you were covered by American Express, which provided both the the insurance, travel insurance, and medical evacuation. Is that correct? That's correct. I had bought the policy a few years ago. I actually bought it for myself and my daughter because we mm-hmm. traveled a lot together. And, and I guess you know the, 
the part of the reason that I bought it was I said I just didn't want something to happen to her and me not know where to go or what to do. So I read the advertisement. It sounded good. I bought the annual policy for both of us. I had had it for a few years. I had never had to activate it, thank goodness. I'm a seasoned traveler. I travel all over the world. And that's probably the most dangerous person out there because they feel like, you know, they, they're never going to have a problem. And I felt that way. That's the reason I bought it for mm-hmm. my daughter and myself, not realizing it would be activated for me, not her. Right. Now, Steve, TripInsuranceStore.com sells insurance policies for a select few of insurance and program providers, including MedJet Assist. Um, and, and these are companies that have been vetted by your organization. There's a, so many um, offerings out there, and even some um, some companies have multi-layered programs. How do you help new clients identify the type of travel insurance or membership program that would be suitable for them? Tanya and Ian, thanks for having me on and thanks for asking. Uh, Like you said, I sell a handful of companies mainly because I don't feel comfortable honestly selling the others. There's honestly hundreds of plans out there and it seems like every couple weeks there's a new one that comes out and either they're the copycats of current ones, but don't have any claims history, which in my case is really important because I want to make sure my customers' claims get paid, or they just have policy wording that I don't feel comfortable with. Like I tell people, I need to be able to sleep at night, and, um, and, and since I use my name and everything online and pictures of myself, if anyone ever tracks me down, I want to be able, I want to, be able to see them uh, to when they're happy. And then I'll... Then, then, I sell for six travel insurance companies and Auntie Medjet. Auntie Medjet is great because it's not insurance, and since it's not insurance, there's no restrictions with Auntie pre-existing Auntie medical conditions and a membership program. They're really great to use. I enjoy it. And um, and then and then Auntie, in the case of John's experience, our plans Auntie would have covered that too. Our plans will cover you if something unexpectedly bad happens to you medically. Well, there's other so, things, so too, what, natural disasters. So what should a customer consider first when selecting the type of travel policy um, they they need or they should have? Well, honestly, uh, 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 see, when people call, first thing I ask them is their age. Because uh, if, if, if someone is 65 and on Medicare in the U.S., honestly, Medicare doesn't cover you when you're outside the U.S. Unfortunately, honestly, lots of people... Honestly, don't know that because they assume that their supplements will, but their supplements typically have honestly uh, big honestly deductibles or copays. Then I find out the area of the world they're going and the time of the year. So if someone said, "I'm leaving from Minneapolis, middle of February, I'm going to the Caribbean," then I'll take into consideration that there could be bad weather honestly uh, up in Minneapolis. The, 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 the person honestly might not. Not to get ill or injured, or their grandma might not get sick, but they might have a, a snowstorm that they they're honestly still stuck in their driveway on, and they can't leave. So, so, so it's important to look at at the, at the time of the year they're going, their age, and their honestly destination. You're listening to World Footprints Radio, and we're talking to a panel of travel insurance experts to answer your frequently asked questions. Mr. Gobels, I'd like to come back to you. Uh, we are living in an age where we have had lots of natural disasters that have uh, taken the headlines and in a time of terrorism 
does your product uh, protect travelers in those instances? Yeah, that's a that's a great question, and and it does. We we do not have any as as um, as Steve had discussed. I mean, MedJet Assist, being a membership program, does not have exclusions for natural disasters. Does not have exclusions for terrorism or for adventure sports activities. So mm-hmm. you know, an individual has an easier time in, in knowing that they don't have to worry or search through that again. So we don't have those restrictions. And you know, with that, I, I think a good way to kind of differentiate a little bit. While as I said, I travel with travel insurance as well, but certainly my MedJet card in my pocket um, primarily for that. But I think in, in Mr. Palumbo's scenario, things you know, could have been differently. You know, luckily, he, the injury sustained while severe allowed him to kind of travel back, and I'll use kind of an insurance term, being the most uh, economical means of conveyance, meaning that they were able to send a medical escort and bring him back commercially. I think one of the main differences with a, a medical membership program like MedJet Assist is that in the, in the event that Mr. Palumbo's injuries were severe, meaning possibly broken ribs and then a punctured lung, a pneumothorax, most travel insurance policies, and even if you ask American Express Platinum, things of that nature, they will tell you that the first stop will be to the uh, individual's choice of the closest, most appropriate medical facility. And coming out of Morocco, most likely that would be a good hospital in Spain. And the initial movement for initial stabilization and treatments are going to be probably at that hospital in Spain. And then the travel insurance company will, after that, will be able to then, if needed, repatriate that individual commercially, most likely, back to their home hospital. The differentiation between MedJet is the fact that if Mr. Palumbo had that pneumothorax or punctured lung in Morocco, you wouldn't have to make that interim stop. When you're hospitalized there as an inpatient, you get to choose the hospital you want to come back to, uh, not the closest, most appropriate. It is the hospital of your choice if you're stable to do that, and we would have brought him all the way back to his home hospital. So I think that's an important differentiation between a travel insurance product that has some limited medical evacuation benefits and a pure membership-based program. Now, you know, one of the things that I'd like to add, uh, and your points are great, is, um, Tanya, I think you probably saw the... Uh, TV interview that I had while I was still in the hospital. The cameras came out, and then yes. there was a full-page write-up in the news. Uh, and they weren't necessarily about me as they were about travel insurance. And hopefully the message here through all of us being on this interview is that uh, just just the need for travelers to buy it. You know, even the interviewer on that TV segment said, they never buy travel insurance. And the gentleman from the uh, newspaper, when he came out to the hospital to interview me, uh, part of it was because in talking with all of my friends and business associates, they all said the same thing. I, I never buy travel insurance. And they were all you know, happy that I was one of those type people that had it. But the message that I still try to convey to everyone is if you're traveling, you need a policy whether regardless of where you get it, and obviously you need to get a good one, and MedJet is certainly at the top of my list. If I didn't have the one that I currently have, I've looked into them, and they they are very good providers. I just happen to have this other policy right now, but I think that's the biggest message is that uh, hopefully the listeners will realize you need a policy when you're traveling because you know everything from E. coli to a broken arm, a wrist, a leg. Once you reach that 150-mile marker, you don't always uh, get on an airplane to go somewhere. You could easily be in a car traveling and be 150 miles away from home, so you don't have the option on a, on, online to buy insurance at that time. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, Mr. John Mr. Palumbo is right. I mean, he, he is he is right on the money with that. I mean, a lot of people don't buy it, but everybody knows someone that has had to use something. Everybody knows someone that has been traveling either domestically or internationally and, and has become sick or injured, and that's kind of another differentiating point is, as Mr. Palumbo said, it's, it's 150 miles. I mean, you could be away at the beach, and we don't really think we might need something like domestically, uh, and that's one thing where, you know, travel insurance is you've got to be traveling international for that, uh, but... You know, 90% of our clients buy MedGenesis for that big international trip or living or working in other countries. But about 60% of those actually use that domestically because they find themselves in situations where they realize they've got the card and they can get back home. I like that a little bit about travel insurance. Is that okay? One of the things that I've had mentioned to me is I've had several people, you know, as they've heard the story or they've read some of the online stories that were written about my incident, they say the same thing, which kind of gets me. They go, well, I don't really leave the country that often, so I wouldn't need it. And my answer to them is, but you travel all over the United States. And if you live in North Carolina and you're in San Francisco and you fall and break your leg, do you really want to sit around in San Francisco or do you want to come back home? Yeah, they've got, and your they've got airline great ticket's there. not going to take care of it and your regular insurance is not going to take care of it. You still want to get back home and you want to get back home quick. I hate to sound like an advocate for travel medical insurance, but, but I am because of my incident now. I like that a little bit about travel insurance. With, our travel, with all of our plans, if you're taking a trip, at least 100 miles from home, it'll cover you. And also, the place where travel insurance overlaps with MedJet is that MedJet covers all your expenses during the transport, everything like that, which is really great. But travel insurance pays the medical bills for those days leading up to the, the, the uh, transport taking place. Absolutely. You know, or, or, or there's a possibility that it isn't serious enough where you're uh, admitted to a hospital and because there's a lot of things that can happen if they aren't admitted to a hospital, travel insurance will pick up 100% of your bills then, too. John Gobels, I wanted to quickly follow up with, with you because MedJet is uh, positioned as an air medical transport membership program. Are there instances in which MedJet will provide medical treatment on the ground? Let's say, for instance, uh, in transporting someone suffer, someone suffers another ailment for which they're not being transported, such as a heart attack in a route, and so you've got to make an emergency landing somewhere. Is that covered? Well, just to clarify your question, I mean, I mean, certainly if, if you are traveling uh, in route and, and you have an instance where, you know, you may have a heart attack on a commercial aircraft and, and then you make an emergency landing somewhere and they take you to the hospital at that standpoint, once you're there admitted in that hospital, the first thing that the member needs to do is contact MedJet. We take over from the time they're hospitalized until we get them back home to their home hospital of choice. Mm-hmm. And uh, John Goebel, just a, uh, another follow-up. Are there any countries not serviced by MedJet Assist? Sure. I mean, unfortunately in the world, there are certain places that don't have hospitals or don't have uh, a runway capable of receiving, uh, you know, an air medical aircraft. Uh, so we do not cover, you know, Antarctica, places of that nature where you really don't, uh, you, you know, you don't have places for initial stability from that standpoint. And then any places certainly that are excluded or uh, on the U.S. State Department's list of no travel zones, uh, active war zones, places like that, uh, we do not have membership benefits for. Mm-hmm. John uh, Palumbo, what would have happened had you required long-term care abroad? Would your current policy uh, have still applied? You know. Well, 
I did not have to activate that, so I can't really say. I ass- okay. From what I understand, after really having, you know, digging into the policy and going through the ordeal now, it is my understanding that they would have until they could have gotten me home. Um, I, this is probably a better question to ask one of these other gentlemen because I'm sure it's, that there's some similarities. I'm sure they would have taken care of me up to a certain point till I'm able to travel and then get on home. Um, but they did take care of the few expenses that I had here in the interim. But, again, my goal was to activate and get home. Unquestionably, mm-hmm. they bought first-class tickets for myself because of the nature of my uh, injury. I couldn't sit in a coach seat by any means, so I had to sit in a first-class seat because my arms were both um, paralyzed. It's not really the word, but they were, you know, disabled. And um, so I can't answer the long-term situation there, but that wasn't even an option for me. Without the insurance, I would have just got myself home no matter what. Okay. Steve, I'll, I'll ask you to, to address that question. Does um, any of the policies that Trip Insurance Store sells um, apply to long-term care in the country uh, or, or state in, in, in the domestic sense um, for somebody who requires that? Uh, yep, with our plans, they will. The, 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 the limits, well, the policy is limited to the maximum medical, but then... But then, honestly, besides that, honestly, once a person is stable and able to be transported, honestly, then they get, then they end up getting sent back home, because typically people are far from their family and friends, and all their honestly support with all their honestly family support, and and almost everybody would rather come home than stay in a hospital somewhere else. Now, honestly, mm-hmm. something along those lines. Uh, there's a couple of plans I have that not only pay whatever your other insurance doesn't pay while you're on your trip, but they also pick up your medical bills for up to a year after you get home if something happened uh, uh, while you're on your trip. And back in the past, uh, so those weren't that important, but now with, uh, with uh, deductibles and co-pays going up with health insurance plans, there's a lot of people that they can be on a trip, break their wrist, come home, they need to go to the doctor for a couple of months, and our plans will will uh, continue to pick up anything the insurance doesn't pay, their health insurance doesn't pay as long as they start initial treatment uh, while they're on their trip. I see. Okay, that's that's good to know. That was one of a, a question that came through on Twitter, and we, we have a couple of other questions that came through uh, on Twitter, and one is, and uh, this is open for anyone to answer, uh, does my health insurance cover any accidents I may have while traveling? So I think they're referring to their domestic uh, insurance coverage, like Blue Cross or Kaiser. Does that well, apply abroad? They, that, well, well, the only way to know for sure is to call them up and ask them. Because cause with, with, with health insurance plans, all of them will cover you when you're inside the network. But then when you go outside the network, uh, uh, so then the rules are different. And, and I talk about my website. We tell people the best thing to do is call up your insurance company Talk to someone's in claims and say, if I get a hit by a cement truck in Mexico or anywhere else you're going, I'll say, what's the most I'm going to have to pay out of pocket? Because it's not, I don't want to say it's impossible to figure out from your policy, but it's pretty hard. You're listening to World Footprints Radio, and we're talking to a panel of travel insurance experts to answer your frequently asked questions. 
John Goebbels, I want to ask you about the uh, annual versus single trip programs that MedJet Assist offer. Are there any differences in service? No, the uh, you know a regular annual membership for an individual or a family versus short-term memberships. Everyone gets the Cadillac membership as far as that goes. The services are all the same. It's medical transfer back to the home hospital of your choice in your home country. The only thing that changes is the time frame and obviously the cost with that. So we have short-term memberships that start as low as $99, and that starts at eight days. And then you can have a 15-day, 21- or a 30-day trip or an annual membership that uh, runs on an annual basis. And that is not trip-specific. So a person can travel twice or they can travel 40 times during that um, annual membership from that standpoint. So there is no difference in the uh, membership benefits provided between those membership types. John Palumbo, I'd like to ask you, what influenced your decision to select travel insurance? I know you travel a lot and, and you had mentioned that, but what was it specifically about the policy that you relied upon at the end of the day to obtain service that uh, may have swung it in their favor at that time? I think it was just my daughter. Uh, she tried, okay. she was traveling with me a lot and we were going to, you know, Europe and Mexico and places like that. And it just, that when I was reading over the information, it just occurred to me. I said, you know, what if something were to happen to her? I guess that's just the way a parent thinks. And what if I had to take her to the hospital? And I think I was thinking of assistance and getting her home quickly. So as I looked over the um, the offering and, um, you know, to buy an annualized policy, I think just the math real quick made sense to me. I'm thinking I'm traveling every month. Uh, somewhere, my daughter goes with me on occasion. If you know, I can't just buy it for her. I have to buy it for her and for myself. And um, I truly, probably, like a lot of people, thought I just never liked checking it when I was buying an airline ticket. It just, you know, you look down and you go, "There's one more baggage fee, so to speak," and I'm not doing it. And that's what I've heard from hundreds of people. But the annual policy just made sense. Uh, you know, you're covered for the entire year. You don't have to worry about anything, and that's how I made my decision. And then, you know, it ended up being a very good decision for me, and I would uh, be crazy to think that I would ever drop it again. And I would encourage mm-hmm. anybody to buy, if they're traveling, you know, if they're doing much, to just purchase an annual policy. That that way you never have to worry about whether you're on a train, plane, or an automobile, where you're going, when you're going, or how you're going somewhere. You know you're taken care of. So, as the gentleman mentioned with uh, MedJet, that that would be my highest recommendation right there to get one of their premium policies and just cover yourself throughout the year if you're traveling more than a few times a year. Now, what about uh, cruise policies? Uh, and, and this is a question directed to all three of you: Are there separate uh, policies or membership? Programs um, that are applicable to the cruise ship industry. Um, John Palumbo, does your current policy cover a a cruise? If an accident were to occur on a cruise, Uh, to my knowledge, it covers. Period. Anywhere I am in, uh, to the extent that um, I need, you know, medical evacuation is going to take care of me. Mm-hmm. John Goebbels, what about uh, MedJet Assist um, with um, a cruiser, a, tr- sure, a person it, on, a, on a cruise? 
Yeah, John's right, and we're we're kind of in in the same boat. Uh, no pun intended with that. In, in the fact that it really doesn't matter. As we said, you could be skydiving, or you know, on Africa safari, or just vacationing, or on a cruise ship. Obviously, if if you become ill or injured from that standpoint, and uh, and meet the basic criteria, it really doesn't matter what you do. And I know that while some cruise lines have uh, kind of their own uh, travel insurance or cruise policies from that standpoint, I, I think you know potential cruisers or travelers need to understand, uh, kind of like Steve had mentioned, the fact that you need to look into that and make sure the restrictions are not there that are going to require you to do something that you don't want to have done. Mm-hmm. Steve, um, there is a, a separate supplement um, for accidental death and dismemberment. Is that an important supplement or is it just um, another fee that um, some insurance companies like to, uh, uh, like to add? Well, when you're asking about that, you're asking about like with a typical honestly, life insurance policy, or do you mean like a flight policy, like you die in a plane crash? Well, some travel insurance policies offer AD and D um, coverage, oh, yeah. whether it's for a flight or you know a land land uh, land tour. Well, if it's if it's part of the policy, that's fine. But it's usually it's not worth paying extra for accidental death and honestly dismemberment. And and, and 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 the reason for that, same reason it's not worth buying in a regular life insurance policy. If you have to die by an accident, and an accident, you think, okay, walk across the street, get hit by a cement truck, that's an accident. Well, that's fine if you die until right out there in the street. But if you get taken to a hospital and you die later, then it's not an accident. It's usually a complication of something else, which technically isn't an accident. It, then it becomes a sickness, and then the insurance honestly doesn't pay. Because then, then someone's thinking, well, gee, I got hit by the cement truck. Honestly, that ought to... Uh, Honestly, that ought to be covered. So I have two policies that have it in there. About the only time it, it might be worth buying separate is if you buy a flight accident policy once you die in a plane crash. Thankfully, they don't happen until very often. And uh, I sell lots of them. I'm not sure if everyone should buy it for 100% of their trips. But there's people out there that if they died in a plane crash, they'd want to make sure money had once gone to their family. Steve, speaking of some of these supplemental coverages, uh, is there is is dental generally covered under some of these travel insurance policies, or is that a, or is that an add-on? Well, see, dental. Well, first of all, let's say you're on a trip and you uh, have travel insurance and you accidentally injure your teeth. Maybe you bite something and your tooth breaks. Oh, see, then with all the plans that include dental. Uh, so that covers it because it covers accidental injury to sound teeth. But if you're somewhere and you bite something and your, and your filling falls out, but your tooth is still there and it isn't broken, uh, so that's not covered. However, almost all health insurance plans, Blue Cross, Medica, um, Aetna, all those, all of those will uh, cover you if uh, something happens where you're, where you're on a trip and you're injured. There's, some, there's always some kind of dental coverage with a uh, health insurance plan. Mm-hmm. John Palumbo, you mentioned um, your initial, uh, the impetus behind your initial um, purchase of your uh, insurance policy, your travel insurance policy. Knowing what you've gone through, and uh, we are also very happy that a year later you're um, uh, very well on your way to uh, to mending. Um, going, having that experience. When you renew your policy, um, do you renew? Have you 
have you done anything different? Have you changed any uh, any uh, policy offerings or? And I'm certainly, you know, I'm certain you're looking at um, each year that you renew from a very different uh, perspective from that when you first purchased it. Well, as far as the travel medical insurance, I don't know that there's much to change there. It's you either own it or you don't. But one of the things that (laughs) I have definitely taken a different look at is long-term health care. Um, if you read the article that was written up in the papers and is now online, you'll see that I spent a few months in an uh, assisted living facility, with, which is a nursing home. Um, I was the youngest patient that they had had there because most of the patients there are in their 80s and 90s. You know, it's, it's older people. And so, but I, I had no use of my arms, so I had to be fed, I had to be bathed, I had to be taken care of every day because both of my arms were, you know, hung up. So, but what it did make me aware of was that my insurance policy was not going to take care of long-term health care. Now, this is not my travel insurance, this is just my regular insurance. Uh, it didn't, you know, cover me forever in long-term health care. So it made me realize, gosh, what if my accident had been worse and I had to sit in some in a facility like that for a longer period of time. And you know, as we get older, you think about those things. Uh, so that insurance, I've certainly considered further, uh, making sure that I have better coverage on my long-term health care, not my short-term stuff, which this was, uh, but long-term. And I think. Uh, that that has been my big enlightenment there. John Goebbels, we've had uh, quite a bit of information uh, put forth here. Well, I, I think it's just important to know, um, both like John and Stephen mentioned, in, in the fact that travel insurance is an important product. It covers things that we all need to worry about as, as medical expenses and, and lost luggage and visa and passport type help and, and obviously those big medical bills. But as we know, there are some certain restrictions with that, with uh, travel insurance policies, especially when it comes to medical transfer. And that's why supplementing that with a medical type of transport membership such as MedJet Assist is so important. We work great together, and I think that's the important takeaway from, from all of this. Mm-hmm. John, how far in advance should uh, one secure a membership uh, policy, a membership program uh, through MedJet Assist before taking a trip? When, when is the cutoff? Well, we have a couple of nice things. I mean, basically the cutoff is, is, is right before you leave. You can purchase an annual membership today uh, and make it effective the day uh, that you're going to depart for your trip, and that could be six months in advance if you wanted to. Uh, or we have members that call up the day that they're leaving and say, you know, I'm going over to Africa for safari, and I just heard about this, and, and we want to go ahead and get a membership. So it's really flexible from the standpoint of setting a future date if you want to purchase it early or purchasing the day before you leave. But the cutoff point is before you leave for your trip. And, Steve, I'll pose the same question to you, um, particularly where a person is traveling overseas uh, and, you know, a large event like the Olympics or a World Cup where there's always a uh, security risk and, you know, the threat of global terrorism. Since the travel insurance policies actually cover uh, terrorist events, how far in advance should someone purchase or when is 
when is the last, uh, up to what point can one purchase a, a policy um, that they have to call into effect because of a, um, a major event? Well, uh, well, well, first of all, with travel insurance and every other insurance, too, it needs to be purchased prior to the event, the event happening where you're, where you're going to need it. So if you're leaving on a trip six months from now and you're in great health now and everything's going somewhere, maybe you're a little worried about the security or maybe your grandma has some medical condition, something happens to her, the, the, the time to buy the insurance is before any of those things happen because once they happen, then it's too late. Insurance companies, they, they, they work off of something called the loss of large numbers, which means that if there's large numbers, they can reasonably predict the likelihood of something happening, but only if it's completely unknown. So if it's an unknown event, it's covered, but, it, but once the event becomes known, then it's too late to buy it. Well, I'm going to use a hypothetical. Um, take the, you know, the major event of the Olympics. The Olympic Games and the Paralympic Games are um, played at separate times. You know, the Paralympic Games follow the Olympic Games. And so right. say something happened during the Olympic Games, but a traveler was planning to travel uh, to the the country where the host country for the Paralympic Games um, would uh, would that traveler be covered if uh, the games were canceled um, following the event that occurred during the Olympics? Is that a l- big enough uh, time space? Yeah. Yep. Yep. With with something like that. Where the, where the travel supplier canceled the trip, or the person just just doesn't feel safe about going, then they can get something called yeah, a cancel for any reason plan. It typically has to be purchased within 14 to 30 days after you make the earliest payment of any kind on your trip. And then uh, that gives you the ability to cancel your trip at least two calendar days prior to your leaving just because you don't want to go. So it might be something like you don't feel safe or... Or, um, or, or maybe something's come up and you have to change your mind. Now, now, see specifically for terrorism, with 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 the plans to cover terrorism, all of ours do. It'll cover you if there's a terrorist incident in a city that's listed on your itinerary within seven to thirty days of your see departure date. So if you're leaving on say March first for a trip, something happens on February. Uh, let's see, 27th, in the city you're going to, terrorist incident, then you can say, oh, I'm not going to go on my trip. Uh, I'm going to cancel. However, you know, the funny thing about that is it's probably safer to go uh, after the thing happens than it is uh, prior to leaving. But still, there's the fear factor and other things that come into play. Well, gentlemen, this has been a very informative uh, session uh, covering travel insurance and we know that there's a lot of information for our listeners to digest, and we thank you for all of the insights. And I'm sure all of our listeners would agree that travel insurance is a necessary investment. I want to thank Steve Dacios, president of TripInsuranceStore.com, John Goebbels, vice president and chief operating officer of MedJet Assist, and John Palumbo. Gentlemen, thank you very much for joining us today on World Footprints. Thank you very thank you. much. Thank you. 
thank you so much for joining us for today's show. If you want more of World Footprints Radio, including our World Footprints Travel Report, giving you the latest breaking travel and world news, visit us at worldfootprints.com. And while there, make sure you subscribe to our newsletter and follow us on your favorite social network at World Footprints. We're Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick, and we wish you blue skies and purposeful travel that leaves positive footprints one step at a time. Hi, guys. My name is Sandy Best, the Sandy Best from Lake Louise. Where's Lake Louise? It's in Alberta. Alberta's in Canada. That's national.